Hi, this is Matt Trefiro, host of Over the Edge, the only podcast focused on teaching you about edge computing, the grid, and the future of the internet. On this show, I interview experts and practitioners with deep knowledge and expertise in digital infrastructure and the software and technologies that support it. We'll even throw in a little metaverse, Web3, and cryptocurrency to keep it on trend. Join us each episode for a mind-expanding romp through the vast technological and business landscape that is quickly defining our new digital world. Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. Today's episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Stephanie Atkinson, CEO, founder, and principal analyst and consultant at Compass Intelligence. For more than 25 years, Stephanie has provided strategic insights, market intelligence, industry modeling and forecasting, and advisory services to technology companies, enterprise executives, and government leaders across the globe. She is the founder and CEO of Compass Intelligence, a leading tech advisory and market research firm based in Texas, and recently founded vmarquee.com, serving small to medium-sized businesses with branding, web design, and marketing. In this episode, Stephanie talks about the hype behind the variances of edge computing, including the results from her Business Edge report that give insights on the thought processes of business users and technology decision makers, and where money is being spent and how it is being used in the world of technology. She also talks about the future of the Internet of Things, the importance and applications of automation, and provides advice for women working in technology. But before we get into it, here's a word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by Dell Technologies to unlock the potential of your infrastructure with Edge solutions. From hardware and software to data and operations across your entire multi-cloud environment, we're here to help you simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting Dell.com for more information or click on the link in the show notes. And now, please enjoy this interview between Matt Trefiro and Stephanie Atkinson, CEO, founder, and principal analyst and consultant at Compass Intelligence. Hey, Stephanie, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, based in here, Bandera, Texas. So I wanted to, to start by just getting an idea of how you even got into technology. I've been in tech since I guess I got out of college. So I've started off working for Alcatel USA, which has changed hands mm-hmm. quite a few times. Now it's Nokia. And there I was in the R&D group working on electronics and semiconductor design there. So stuck with it and then got into working for a competitive local exchange carrier out of Texas which they're just a small-time telecommunications provider. And then from there, I got into the market research side. So working in silicon, so hardcore engineering, like you have an engineering background? I do have an engineering background, but at Alcatel, I was actually working on more of the supply chain, the logistics side. That's my background is engineering technology, but most of the program or the degree program that I studied at A&M University was focused on industrial distribution so that's kind of my background. It's a good combination of engineering and business skills. Yeah, and I, I bet your supply chain knowledge uh, may come in handy these days with what's happening with the pandemic. So you, you mentioned that you shifted into market research. What, what drove that? I was really wanting to stay in telecommunications, and I was with that CLEC for a few years, and then the, the owner it was an Aggie. The Aggie network is strong, by the way. We, we hire and we hire other Aggies, but he passed away. And so when he passed away, a lot of changes were being made at that particular CLEC. And so I was just looking for something different and something that still kind of kept 
me in that technology realm where I could use my kind of my professional skills. And at the CLEC, I was an information services manager. And so I had quite a bit of extensive technology background from just from my education and from working there and at, at Alcatel. And so just interviewing there and just figuring what, let's take a, take a big leap of faith. And it was something brand new to me, never even heard of market research, but I jumped in. Did you go right into founding Compass Intelligence? No, actually, when I first joined kind of the whole market research industry, I worked for Frost and Sullivan, and they have a pretty large group in San Antonio, Texas, and I went to work for their telecommunications. Got it. And so when did you found Compass Intelligence? I founded Compass Intelligence in June of 2005, so we're coming up on our 17-year anniversary. Yeah, well, congratulations. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. And obviously, you're still in the telecommunication space largely, but you've also branched out into IoT and robotics and some other merchant technologies. How do all those fit together? I think with the telecommunications background, a lot of the telecom providers were starting to get into the M2M space and they were branching out. And so it was a natural evolution for Compass Intelligence to start our own internal research programs focusing on machine and machine communications. And so that's how that kind of first evolved. And of course, the industry started calling it IoT probably about three or four years after we started our M2M research practice. And as we've kind of evolved, the whole industry has been embracing other automation technologies specific to the enterprise, robotics being one of them, artificial intelligence, edge computing, which all of these things have a very strong focus and around enabling the Internet of Things. And I'm going to ask you sort of a naive question, and I have my own answer, but I, I imagine you have a more sophisticated one. What is the benefit of IoT and machine-to-machine communication? Where, where are we seeing the benefits, or where do you expect us to see the benefits? You know, if you put it in its most basic terms to an enterprise or a government customer, it's either to save money, to make money, or to comply with mandates or some kind of compliance issue that that the industry might be imposed or they have to actually embrace as part of regulatory type actions. Outside of that, it, it really comes down to building efficiencies, automating very mundane tasks, mundane, repetitive operational activities that might we just may not need a person or a manual person to come in and do those jobs anymore. And we're, we're really looking at ways we, we can become more efficient in the back office, on the operational side, all the way to just changing the way we deliver new experiences to customers. So you mentioned three things, save money, make money, and comply, compliance. Can you help us understand each of those with like a really specific example, something you've actually seen in the field. So let's start with let's start with with save money. The save money is probably the one that we see most of the activity around. I think a lot of people get excited about the making of making money, providing some some new revenue stream. But on the saving of money, it's really some of these IoT solutions might have twenty four month ROI. But just take for example the factory floor, right? We are implementing sensor networks to tell us when a particular temperature hits a certain point. And instead of us manually going and testing 
our, ourselves and having to go into the factory floor to go do that, we are now taking that human element out of that. That's a very simple sensor measuring activity that we're automating now. So we, we do not have to have that person. We can actually move that person to more beneficial tasks. So some of these examples might have a very quick ROI. Some of them might have two, three-year ROI. But that's a very small, minor example of it's saving money, right? Because we no longer have to pay that salaried person to come in and do manual inspections, manual checks, and to manually go and, and act on that data or that information that's being collected. We now can automate that and trigger something that happens with the machine to automatically act and change. So that's the saving money. So making money, I think there are a whole host of new revenue streams with smart cities, I mean, that's an example. You know, I think a lot of folks have been kind of bummed out about how we just really hyped up smart cities, but yet we're not really seeing the monetization of that. But there are small things that have happened in the cities that have automated things like sick traffic signaling. And in the past, that would be something that would you think of that was saving money. But now they have systems to where a UPS or a FedEx truck can be driving through a city. And what that is doing is it's turning those green light signals on as they drive through the city. So that particular truck can save on fuel, but also deliver on experiences and make more money and satisfy the customer. That That's a real thing. Like, like I, if I am a business and I can pay the city to to buy us the green lights for my trucks? Well, the interesting thing about that particular business model is what we've seen is not everything is about a monetary exchange. The city is mm. giving some kind of right-of-ways right or reducing the, the compliance requirements on some kind of industry, right? But in return, they're providing other services. So there's an exchange of services. Not everything is about a dollar bill being exchanged. In some cases, there are non-monetary exchanges that are taking place within the city. But in the end, that particular technology company may want to enable that technology and down the road look for new revenue streams to, to charge some kind of monthly recurring fee to the citizen to deliver better experiences with the city. Yeah, I see. That makes sense. That makes sense. And that's, that is a form of making money, I guess, is exchanging it for some other, something of value, bartering it, as, as I would say that. That's a great example. And then what about compliance? What's an example of, of using machine-to-machine communications to help with compliance? Yeah, I like to use this example because it was one that kind of hit the supply chain hard, and that was the RFID requirements that Walmart put on its own supply chain. And so all of the vendors that were delivering products and goods to Walmart, they enacted, this was, gosh, it's been a long time since this happened, but they required their suppliers to place RFID tags on certain types of products and on on trailers that were delivering goods to Walmart. And so there's such a behemoth that their one compliance or requirement for to, to be part of that supply chain had that trickle-down effect where I think a lot of the vendors that were doing business with Walmart were kind of, whoa, we got we to gotta do what? So it was kind of a big eye-opening experience, but it, there are big companies like that that are placing requirements on, in order to do business with them that 
are embracing some some type of automation technology and RFID was just one of them, right? But it was all yeah. it was all about compliance. Another good example is the electronic logging requirements of fleets and tractor trailers or trailers or tractors that or semi trucks that are having to deliver goods and services. Those ELD requirements came down from the federal government and now the logging of the mileage and the, the safety and security requirements that are part of that dashboard or even that monitoring system within that semi-tractor trailer is something that is a compliance or a regulatory requirement. And so what, what happened was ELD, the monitoring of these tractors and trailers now became something that was required of drivers, of co- commercial drivers that were out there in the, on the roads today. What, what does ELD stand for? Electronic logging. And ELD, electronic logging. Okay, that, that's electronic devices, logging. Electronic logging. What's the D? Yeah. <laughs> devices, electronic like devices. Okay, cool. D, I mean, I've heard that's devices, really dashboard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's whatever you want it to mean at the time, right? So, so Compass Intelligence does market research in this and other areas. Who, who are your clients and what kinds of questions are they asking you? Yeah, for the most part, we have a range of clients, but most of our customers are technology providers themselves, right? They are the vendors looking to better supplying understand, into this space. Yes, the vendor. We do quite a bit of work with the big consulting firms like McKinsey and Oliver Wyman and Altman Villendre. A lot of them have their own technology divisions, but they'll come to us and sometimes they'll put their own brand on it, but we do a lot of work for them to help them with forecasting and modeling and sizing the market and helping them better understand the key trends. But again, most of our customers are technology vendors. They're providing telecommunications, IoT, and an emerging technology solution to the enterprise or to a government customer. All right, I'm going to try and get some free consulting out of you. What are the biggest trends that... that- you're seeing that that are maybe not as obvious to people that don't study the market like you do. Like what's what's exciting to you and potentially a, a differentiating opportunity? The one thing that I like to just hammer my customers about is I think that we we overhype technology each and every day. And we need to be simplifying it. So the biggest kind of takeaway is we need to simplify not only how we're communicating with the customers, but we need to do our homework to better understand their ecosystem, the vendors that they're working with, not just technology vendors, but their entire ecosystem. Because if we don't understand their industry and what's going on with their day-to-day, the the technology is something that just overcomplicates some of the things that they're working on. And they don't want to hear about some gizmo or IOT. They want you to help solve real problems. And so I know we talked about solution selling. I think that's been kind of a trend. Now we're really moving into what's your value proposition? What are you going to do for that in in customer? What are you going to do to help enable their back office? What are you going to do to help change the whole customer experience that their customers are facing. So we, we like to put ourselves in the customer's shoes. And I think that's how we're differentiated is that we want to simplify the complex technology and really make it make sense for the enterprise and for government customers. That's really insightful. I mean, I'm a marketer and I've spent the last five years marketing and potentially overhyping edge computing. 
And as, as edge computing has matured into a thing that people are making money at now, it's actually disappearing. And, and what I mean by that is exactly what you're saying, which is the, the hospital cares about tracking their devices. They don't care about where the compute is, as long as it's, it's, you know, it's auditable and compliant and safe and, and, right. and so on. And I imagine every business is that way. Like you want to move the trucks faster. You want to lose less, less inventory. You want to comply with Walmart or whatever those things are. And I think that's a, that's a really good lesson for all of us in technology. You know, I mean, I'm watching some LinkedIn threads with a marketing friend of mine who is really berating the telecom industry for talking about 6G. He's like, why are we talking about Gs at all? Like, we're just solving problems. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like you could have said something like that. Yeah, I mean, my big one right now is the metaverse. It just, it, I mean, it's augmented reality. It's virtual reality. It's its the things that we've been doing for a long time, but now we're calling it the metaverse as if it's something brand new, and it's not. And to an enterprise who's looking at augmented reality, it they don't talk about AR. They talk about how can AR or, or leveraging some kind of simulation, how can that help me with training or how can that help me with inspection? How can that help me with providing some new way that the customer is maybe trying on clothes or serving their patients? All of these things make more sense when we put it into perspective. And so we as an industry have to get away from the technology jargon and really start getting closer to our customers and really applying it to their use cases and, and speaking their language. And I feel like we still, we continue to have a massive gap there. And that's that's a big area that we help our customers with today is just, okay, let's, let's, let's take a step back what industries are you really focusing on today? And do you have a very good landscape of that industry in that, those sub-industries that layer underneath that? And do you understand that ecosystem? What are they dealing with today? Who are their competitors? And then you take get all the way down to the customer level and, okay, what is their makeup? Do they have an IT department? What are they doing operationally? Where are, and then you got to communicate as a vendor, you need to communicate to them different areas of their business and how you're going to support them with your technology and your solutions. They want you to get away from speaking about, I have an IOT platform or I have this edge computing solution for you and, and really start to talk about how it's going to make sense for their business and and really apply it in more specific terms, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Now, you recently published um, a, a report, the Business Edge Report. Can you tell me what that's all about? Yeah, so one of the reasons why we launched that particular survey is, again, it's similar to what we just discussed, is we, we know that edge computing has been hyped. I think 2021 was a very big year for edge computing, and we, we see that expanding. But I also see that the telecommunication carriers talk about edge, edge of network, edge compute, you know, the IoT vendors talk about sensor networks and, and analyzing and collecting real-time intelligence at the endpoint device or close, closer to the equipment or whatever it is. And then we have all these other flavors, what's in between until you get to the cloud, right? We're talking distributed architectures versus centralized architectures. So there's just a lot of variances out there. And so we were like, aside from all of that, 
And we felt like there was a lot of noise in the industry and we wanted to go out and survey the industry, make it a mass survey across size of business, across industry. We wanted to ask questions of business users and then ask questions of those that are actually making technology decisions, right? Whether it's IT or OT, those that are actually buying edge computing or that are buying Internet of Things solutions. So that's what we did. And we surveyed late last year 5,000 plus end users and about 2,700 decision makers, those that were actually purchasing technology. And so that was really the whole beginning stages of the research program, and we really wanted to dig further into use cases, application. Are they really spending money in this, and where where is it going? And so that's what we probed with this particular survey. Can you give us any nuggets, like things that that are you think that you were surprised by, or or had just incredibly reinforced that maybe you didn't expect to be so reinforced by the by the research? Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of hypotheses that we were thinking about in terms of where a lot of the early kind of wins and the early adopters were, you know, really it's a lot of that was, has been taking place on the industrial side, manufacturing, supply chain, hard hat industries, oil, gas, energy. A couple of things that stood out from a segmentation perspective. One is the mid-market seemed to have a higher appetite for the use cases, their, their purchasing, their plans to purchase compared to the enterprise. And so we thought the larger the company, the more likely edge computing was going to be of interest, right? And, and applicability would be much higher. But that mid-market, those, those particular businesses that have between 100 and 999 employees, that was a sweet spot and, and a very, always an underserved market for technology. And so we find that a lot of the edge computing vendors out there are working and they're targeting these large global multinational corporations. They're looking at the larger enterprise accounts. So we can't forget about those mid-markets because they are a sweet spot based on this research. And they are, they're, they're ready to spend as well. well why, why do you think their desire to spend money on this kind of technology or these kinds of solutions is greater than the large enterprises? Do you, do you have any clues as to what's causing that? Yeah, I don't think that it's anything particular around the fact that their businesses are any different. It's that it's that, that they are often underserved and under-targeted from a vendor perspective. So they're not feeling the outreach. They're not learning a lot of the core applications and the use cases to their industries as quickly as the enterprise segment might be because they are generally the ones that are being targeted for a lot of the vendors are targeting them more likely than they are targeting the mid-sized market. It, there are some smaller or even some mid-sized, fast-growing IoT-type companies that get the mid-market, and they tend to grow organically based on their customers. But we feel like the, the industry has long forgot about the mid-market, and they're a very prime kind of market opportunity across the board for IoT and edge computing solutions. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, uh, you know, the, the challenge as a vendor to reach the mid-market is it, it's a very different sales process than enterprise, right? It usually tends to be regional. You tend to be you know, more mom-and-pop businesses. You know, a 100-person business could be just one facility in North Las Vegas or something, right? How do you think about the sort of sales and distribution challenge for these new services? 
Yeah, I think you have to get smart with the VARs. The value-added resellers tend to have the closer relationships with the mid-market. And if you if you don't have a good kind of VAR or alliance strategy, a lot of these mid-market companies are already working with these VARs. They usually have two or three that are very close to them or that are that what we would consider to be their preferred vendors. And those preferred vendors are the ones that you as an IoT solution company or you as an edge computing provider that you may need to look at differently than your enterprise partnerships and alliances that you might set up with the big guys to kind of go to market. So it is a different go-to-market strategy. From a conversational perspective, you're right. It's a wide sloth of and wide range of varying buyer characteristics. If you're moving down market, then you're, you're right. You're looking at more mom and pop. Those personal conversations are going to be more important. As you move up market, you, you may have franchises in different locations. You're more likely to have different locations spread, but they also might look more regional in nature. So it might be a, a you might need to change your strategy from a regional sales perspective and how you go to market and, and really how you, you know, converse or set up those meetings. So again, you got to do your homework. You really need to understand the customer and their industry and, and how big are they? How many locations do they have? So let's talk some more about, about edge computing. We, we, we definitely uh, agree. I, I saw the same thing. We, we saw a tremendous rise in, in attention, but also implementation of things that might be called edge-related. What efforts in edge computing are you seeing that are enabling these end-user solutions? Like what, of all the things that are, that are happening, there's lots of things that people are doing. The wireless companies are deploying 5G. There's companies like mine that are deploying micro data centers. What, what are, where are you starting to see traction and, and convergence? I think that it comes down to uh, speaking the enterprise terms, and that is just real-time data intelligence. When you lead with that, each industry has a different need for collecting information, storing that information, analyzing that data or that information, and acting on it. In different parts of their business are critical. Some are critical communications, alerting, maintenance um, issues, something that stops operations, something that just dis- could disrupt the way they're delivering goods and services or the way they're delivering an experience to a customer. When we think about it in those terms, the real-time data intelligence is the big pull for edge computing. And like you said, it doesn't matter if it's at the endpoint device, if it's at the building, if it's at some kind of micro router that's placed on the edge of the building or close within the mile of the building, it really comes down to what is that going to do for me and how does that change my business? Because we can go through in line item, action after action, and what pieces of information for a business is important that really should be leveraged through edge computing. And then there's always going to be data that needs to be pushed to the cloud. We're not leveraging and using all of that. But the whole idea behind all of this is that we no longer need to be collecting data just to be collecting data. We should be doing some things with this data. We should be looking at anomalies. We should be looking at patterns and trends and things that we think are going to really provide some level of intelligence to our business operations that we're going to make a different. We're going to act differently because of it. We're going to maybe alert our team. We're, we're going to maybe dispatch someone to that location. Or maybe we're going to have a, a piece of equipment or a robotic 
actually do something about something that's going on in the operational side. So all of these things is kind of wrapped up into one. It just comes down to real-time data intelligence. That's a, that's a great phrase. I don't know that I've, I've, if I've heard it, I haven't paid attention to it that way because you can actually decompose it into its three parts, right? It's real time, which means as fast as you need it to be, probably faster than, or at least as fast as humans, if not faster. So ones of milliseconds, I think, or one, certainly less than one, one second. And then you have data, like lots of data. I mean, and everything spins off data now. Your microwave spins off data, right? Your refrigerator spins off data. Your car spins mm-hmm. off data. And then intelligence, which is largely the artificial intelligence, the machine learning that benefits from all that data that it's trained against. What's like the coolest use of real-time data intelligence that you can think of that you've seen? Well, to me, there's a lot of cool. I mean, I mean I'm kind of a tech techno nerds so i think most of it's cool to me so but i get excited about a lot well, of pick it pick a few pick a few things yeah so one of the things that we found in the research that and i think that i got excited about because i think a lot of movement that we see in the iot, IOT space is really driven around asset tracking and monitoring fleet tracking and monitoring right we're just tracking some type of asset well in the research we found a great need for edge computing in remote patient care. And a big shift that we've seen over the past few years due to the pandemic was a relaxing of all of the just hardcore requirements to deliver care at home. HIPAA just made it completely just hard for anyone to exchange patient data and deliver real-time patient experiences and monitoring. Well, a lot of that bureaucracy was lifted due to the pandemic because we were all working from home and many doctors were delivering care to their patients while they were at home through Zoom and through other just video monitoring services and video chat services. So that has changed so much. It's almost as if the pandemic opened that door and there's a, we saw in the research that there was a great need to leverage and use edge computing technology to deliver at-home patient care. So I think that that, that door, it, we're just now opening that door. Now, I think there's a really great amount of probably vendor solutions and opportunities that will come from that. And so that one's really, really exciting. The ones that I think are... I mean, outside of asset tracking and monitoring, it just comes down to each industry, right? There are certain things that cause us massive headaches. And I think predictive maintenance is a big one. If we're down or if our trucks are down or if our pumps aren't drilling or if our vehicles are not on the road because we're not planning and dispatching and repairing when we need to or fixing the issues when we need to, it can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's big. The other thing is cybersecurity. With edge computing, there are also physical breaches. Something has been turned off. A a USB port has been unplugged. A sensor is no longer tracking data. And those types of things trigger some kind of, there could be some kind of manual action that can cause a breach 
but then it can also open up the cyber world to additional security and risk. One of the biggest applications that, that we were not even thinking of with this survey research, we actually included cyber and security risk as, as, a, as an answer or as a solution or an application of edge computing. And it, was, it actually was amongst the top one or two in different ways that we've asked that question, which we weren't thinking that that was actually going to be a use case. But I think that customers are starting to really think more holistically about the way they network and their architecture. And there are some security like risks that are involved with edge computing. And then there are also some mitigation that might take place because you are distributed maybe you're not having a blanket outage because you are distributed. So there are some different ways that we're thinking about security as a result of the survey as well. And that, to me, that was really exciting because we weren't expecting that to be high. It, we, didn't, we weren't expecting that to resonate high as a use case or as, however, we did expect that to be an area of focus for spending and budgeting. But tying it back to edge computing is something a little bit unique. It, it almost tells me, because I don't see a lot of things that are driven around the security side, it almost tells me that either, one, we need to have embedded security or we need to be addressing security as part of our edge computing solutions that are out there, or B, we need to be thinking about security if we're looking at tagging and joining in other partners as part of a more holistic solution for an IoT suite of you know, services. And so it just, it just goes to show that no matter what, we've, we've got to do better at, at maybe addressing that, whether we like it or not, and whether we think that we are a security provider or not. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. You made, made me think of a, a number of things that, that I've heard from customers. So you talk about security, it's, it's adjacent to resilience, right? Because you mentioned how can you avoid a, a, a blanket outage? And so by distributing your workloads across multiple facilities, multiple network routes, you can lose some of your routes or facilities and still maintain others. There's another interesting aspect, which is, you know, historically you think of enterprises saying, well, the most secure thing is to have my stuff on site, right? On premises. And I, I used to you know, tease people in my industry saying, well, what's the edge computing and on premises? You tell me, right? And, like, and no, I, I've, I've only got one good answer. And that's the person who said, well, the control plane goes all the way up to the cloud with edge computing. I'm like, ah, okay, that, that kind of works. But what I've come to realize is that 15 kilometers away to somebody who runs a factory, is if they can go kick it, it's almost on-premises. And the advantage of having something that's near-premises, not on-premises, it's not really off-premises, it's near-premises, is that in a lot of these new applications, you need to bring in multiple vendors and those vendor tools integrate. And those vendors' tools may require a substantial amount of computing. You don't want to have that computing in your facility because you don't want to pay for it. You want to consume this as a service, but it has to be nearby because you're like, for example, you've got maybe a, a video management system for all your security cameras, and then you have a different vendor that's doing the AI inferencing on that. And those two workloads need to be right next to each other because you want that to be real time, but you don't want it in your factory. And I, and I think that that's a, a level of sophistication that the market didn't see. I didn't see it four or five years ago. Nobody was talking about it. And it's kind of mundane, but it's also, well, maybe prosaic is the right word. It's, it's prosaic, but it's, it's, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's substantial. It is substantial. And that's one of the things that we asked. We asked about 
with their plans for investing in cloud and edge computing, where do they see things kind of playing out? And a good majority of them, this wasn't surprising, but we as an industry have to expect the fact that mid-size enterprise companies are going to leverage a hybrid approach. And so just because you may be delivering edge computing and another vendor is pushing things to the cloud, we're going to have to work together. There's going to be a combination. They're expecting to see a hybrid approach to their bat, you know, their IT and their OT operations. And if you don't understand the other side of it, then you're really going to just be kind of stuck. But you're right. As a service is where we see things leaning. Customers love to have an expectation of what they're going to be spending each month. They like the predictability of it. They like the fact that it's spread out and there's not a lot of upfront costs, but then it feels like, like you said, it's on premise or near, right? Near. And again, they want that near, near to real time intelligence with their operations and that, that can give them that. And so we do expect there to be some hybrid kind of architectures out there. And we, as the vendor community and we, as the IOT and edge computing industry, we need to be prepared for that as well. I mean, one of, one of the organizations that I helped found is called the Open Grid Alliance. And it's, it sort of pays homage to the original SunGrid, which was the original cloud computing Sun Microsystems before Jeff Bezos was even selling his first book. And the vision of that, you talk about back in the day, utility computing. The idea is, well, you just plug it into the plug your application or your service into the wall like you plug a light in, right? And you can get as much compute as you want. And to some extent, I was thinking if I was building a factory today, I wouldn't want to own any computers or I wouldn't want to have any on my factory, right? I'd want I'd want it, I'd want it to just come through a pipe in the wall is what I'd want it. And so I'm wondering if 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 you agree with that that trend line that I'm that I think I'm seeing but but I'm interested in your opinion. No, even more so, that was one of the things that stood out for SNBs or the as you move down market, plug and play is is what we are expecting, right? We want it to be as simple as OnStar or Sirius XM. We buy something and we have mm. maybe we even have a free trial and then we all of a sudden it pushes to a monthly recurring charge and it's just simple, right? And it's tied to maybe a, the serial number on the back of that piece of equipment or whatever it is, right? The reason why I was saying that is because I was just now renewing my Sirius XM this morning. So it made me think about that, but it's just so plug and play. It's there, it's working, it's embedded. I can use it or I don't have to use it, but it makes it very simple for the user experience. And again, it is becoming so complex that our IT departments, it's not that they don't want to manage that, but they, they, they are inundated with more edge endpoint devices being connected to a network, whether it's secure or not, or whether there's some kind of department that's installing something that they don't even know that's being installed. That happens all the time. We're seeing more departments outside of IT experiment and check out things and explore and connect things to a network. And sometimes, and a lot of times, they're not even on a secure network. They're leveraging and using Wi-Fi or the fixed network or the wireline network that's already in place. And now we have security risks that we didn't even know we had. So having that visibility of everything that's kind of happening on-prem and near-prem is going to be very important. And as departments outside of IT start to, a lot of them are actually being approached. And some of the sales conversations are taking place outside of IT. And when that happens, we still need to get IT involved. There's still security requirements that are in place that we need to make sure that we're 
adhering to because we're opening ourselves up to risk as we connect anything and everything on that network. One of the things that I don't remember if I if you if you said it in a video or if you wrote it, but you talked about the seamless exchange of IoT data on a global scale. And I found that really intriguing. Can you tell me more about what your thinking is behind that and what you mean by it and what you think it's going to bring us if or what's going to happen if we don't enable it? I mean, to me, it's just a continuum of we went from kind of RFID to machine-to-machine communications. Now we're talking about IoT. And essentially all of these things are sensors and and devices that we're connecting to the operational side of our networks that are providing a better experience. Like I said, real-time data intelligence. We are looking at patterns. We're applying machine learning and artificial intelligence to act. And we're kind of bringing together the human and the, 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 the digital world. And, and as we continue to automate businesses and operations, this is just the evolution that we're in right now. I kind of like to, to simplify things because next year we'll have a couple of new acronyms outside of the metaverse that is probably making enterprises and those decision makers scratch their head and go, whoa, what is this? This is so complex. This is really overwhelming me. And we have to do a better job at simplifying that. So from a global perspective, in order to compete, I find that in order to get some of these businesses to move, we're going to have to put it in terms of competition or disruption to their industry. If you don't do X, then this is going to happen. We put it into terms of look what your competition is doing. Look what they're capable of doing. Are you on board? Are you moving in that direction or are you kind of sitting there waiting to see what's going to happen? Because if you are, your industry could either be disrupted or your competition could be taking over your market share. So when we start to think about technology in terms of their bottom line, where they kind of sit in the market, they they tend to perk up and listen. And so in, from a global perspective, especially these large multinational corporations that have these mass supply chains, I mean, let's think about what happened in the supply chains these these past few years. IoT is a very big, big part from a technology perspective that can help solve a lot of just the the massive amounts of disruption that's taken place because we have just, we've missed the mark in terms of people, fleets, distribution, (laughs) supply chain, and just estimating what's going to happen next. We we can't think that that another pandemic's not going to happen. We have to plan for it now. Yeah. And in fact, I was, when the pandemic first happened, people say, well, how's this affecting your business? I said, well, it's good because every company that had a 10-year automation plan now has a three-year automation plan, right? (laughs) It's like, we're never going to, we're not going to, we don't want to shut our factory down next time there's a pandemic. So one of the, the biggest barriers to because I'm always looking at ways to accelerate our industry, right? Uh, and one of the biggest barriers, I think, is one you pointed out, which is like learn how to think of your solution through the eyes of your customer's problem, right? Like part of it's just marketing and distribution. Mm-hmm. But from a technology standpoint, like there's a lot of moving parts. I mean, there's wireless networks and there's new network technologies and new security technology and stuff. Like if you could, if you could nudge one piece of the puzzle because it would help bring everything else along faster. What would that be? That's a really hard question. I think I'd go back to what I spoke of earlier is that you don't need to hire some mass, these big consultants and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. You, you need to go do your homework. 
you need to really put a plan in place. You need, I think it, from a strategic perspective, you need to have a strategic sales plan. And that means you understand what types of companies you're going after. You need to understand what industries that they operate in, what sub-industries that they operate in, and educate yourself. You do not need to go out and buy a ton of expensive market research and hire consultants to do that. You can do that within. If you want to ramp up quickly, that's when you go out and you get help, right? But if we don't lean more on the customer side, then we are not going to get where we, we as an industry think that we're going to get to. We're not going to scale. We're not going to move the needle. And I see all these market research forecasts out there, and they've missed a mark year after year. And we, way back when, we're like, okay, we're in the millions. We're not in the billions. And we can't call a smartphone a connected device. It's not an IoT device. It, it, it maybe provides you with alerting and some information or dashboard information. But it's, it, it's I think, I feel like we have overhyped the market to the point to where we've we've graded out so much. We've got a lot of work to do. But we can go always go back to the customer. And if we get to that point and we start leaning more towards the customer side as opposed to look at my great edge computing and IoT solution, look at my platform, look what it does for you, then I think we as a vendor, if I'm a vendor doing that, we're going to have our foot in the door, whereas our competitor may not because they just don't understand what that customer needs. As a, a female leader in technology, and there aren't enough of you, do you have any advice for for young girls or young women who aspire to have a career like yours? Yeah, one of the things that I do, I'm on the Texas A&M University's, it's the Engineering, Technology, and Industrial Distribution Advisory Board. And so I do talk with students, and I encourage females to get into that degree program, and they're expanding that program. But if you look at the uh, demographics of those engineering, those STEM-type degree programs, it generally is. It's very, very few women. But we need more women in that space. And here's the good news about that, students. If you go and you focus in on getting accepted into a university where they do have a low amount of females to male, then you're more likely to get accepted in that. If you don't like it, you can change it or you can evolve and you can change the, the degree. But we're really encouraging kids and students to kind of ramp up and focus on STEM. And females, like, the, the doors are way more open for you than there are males right now and from a university perspective. And we see that that's starting to happen in the vendor community. It's slow, um, and we have a lot of work to do. And, and especially on the salary side, it's definitely we're, there's there's no par there. But we will get there. And I think that there's a lot of a lot of uh, big corporations are start to, starting to think about that more. Uh, strategically than they have in the past, and they know how important it is. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, when I was going to college, the the rule of thumb was, if you don't know what you want to do, liberal arts is where you start. And I, <laughs> but I can see what you're saying, which is if you're a minority, any minority, but a minority in a, in, in, in mm-hmm. you right. apply to go into science and engineering, yeah, you do have less competition. And so you have more opportunity. That's, that's really interesting. But hey, Stephanie, really appreciate you joining us today. If people want the business edge report, how can they get that? Oh, great question. So we made it really simple, businessedgereport.com, and you can find all the information there, or you can even visit compassintelligence.com. Awesome. And if people want to 
find you online or learn more about your work, where, where should they go? LinkedIn, you can find me, Stephanie Atkinson, or you could also find me on Twitter at Steph Atkins. I'm there. I do a lot of Twitter activity, so I, I would be happy to speak with you there as well. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of our partners at Dell Technologies. Simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com.